Well, good morning. Can you, can you hear me all well? Is that too loud, too? Okay. Um, well, I actually had to pay him to give me such a wonderful introduction. Um, so I'm very, I am very honored um, to be here with you. Um, I, I, I came um, to meet Jerry a couple of years ago at RPTS, um, and he's just got an infectious, wonderful personality that um, you know, just draws people to himself. Uh, very happy to see him uh, here. He's very excited from what I've talked with him. Uh, in the past of, of being here and, uh, and pastoring. And so um, as he asked me to fill in, first of all, I thought I better grow my beard out a little bit more so that I can <laughs> try to compare uh, with Jerry. Um, and I asked him, you know, where would you like me to, what would you like me to preach on? Are you going through a series? You want me to jump in? Uh, there's a running joke that when a pastor's out of town, typically the guest preacher asks for more money for the pastor uh, or for support of the pastor. He didn't ask me for those, but... He said that Second RP um, is an evangelistic church. Uh, they love to share the gospel. They want to plant churches. They want to send missionaries. They want Indianapolis to be one to Christ. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at this morning, um, is the outplaying of the Great Commission taking place through the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is one of my favorites. Uh, so if you have a Bible, please join me in Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16. Now, to set the context a little bit, at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, the apostles received the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call. They've wanted to expand and go out into Asia Minor and expand to the, the four corners of the earth and proclaim Christ as Lord to every creature, as Jesus tells us to do. And uh, several times we read that the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that. Remember, Jesus said that it begins in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And now finally in Acts chapter 16, uh, the apostles are sent loose, as it were, to go and to preach the gospel. So um, that's what we're going to be picking up here. They've finally been giving their marching orders to go out. Um, but yet, as they go, um, they face persecution um, immediately. They face persecution. And that is uh, really something that we need to be encouraged as, as we are doing evangelism and our witnessing, um, that we are going into a dark world that's against Christ, and we need to stand firm in the light of the gospel. So the title of today's sermon will be Persecuted Praise, Persecuted Praise. <clears throat> we will be reading uh, and preaching through verses 16 to verse 34 of Acts chapter 16. Um, let me remind you as we begin that this is the living word of the living God. So let's give attention, I'll pray, and we'll dive in this morning. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, "'These men are servants of the Most High God!' who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. 
verse 22, the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, things begin to get better. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we do thank you for a gospel that is worthy to proclaim a gospel that you have so worked in our hearts to receive, to accept, and to love. And Father, as we read of the examples of your people here and the persecution that comes through the preaching of the cross, we pray that you would encourage our hearts uh, as we seek to do the same. And we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts this day to receive your word, um, to rest in the gospel And uh, grant us a zeal, O God, to proclaim it to the nations, that they, like these Gentile nations we just sang of, may be spared from your wrath. Father, I do pray that you would hide me behind the cross of our King, that Jesus would be proclaimed, that our hearts would be comforted, and that we would sing your praises now and forever. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, recently in my hometown, the town has began a work to beautify our local area. Uh, So they've hired several street painters and uh, uh, various artists to go out about town and to paint old buildings. And where there are high traffic areas to draw these big, beautiful murals that, that would try to unite uh, the town, try to unite the people together around the local community. Um, The local sports team, uh, their mascot is a red-tailed hawk. So on one of the giant buildings on your way out of town through a main road is this giant picture of a red-tailed hawk. And it really is designed to unite the people around the community, unite the people around the school. And they're really beautiful, beautiful works of art. 
And recently there's one not far from my house that they began painting. And I drove by throughout the week, and at first I saw a guy with a ladder and some paint, and I I didn't know if he was covering graffiti or what, what his plan was. It didn't really make sense to me. And as I continued to drive by throughout the week, I started to see things come together. And it started to make a little bit more sense. And finally, by the end of the week, I drove by this beautiful mural over the side of the entire building of flowers and bees and this beautiful kind of springtime scene that, that honestly, if I, if I can say, put me in a better mood. It just, just made me excited to see that instead of just an old rundown building, a beautiful piece of art. And at times, as we go about life and, and as we're advancing the gospel message, it doesn't seem to make sense, kind of like at the beginning. What is this guy doing? What's the plan? It doesn't make sense to me. And the apostles certainly uh, came to that as well. Uh, through a limited view, it's, it's hard to see the grand scheme. And we take by faith that God is going to bring these things about. And here in Acts chapter 16, it doesn't look like it's going very well. There's persecution, there's imprisonment, there's beatings, there's false accusations, there's earthquakes and and, and hatred that's coming from the nations to whom the apostles have gone to serve. And yet, when we see from an eternal perspective, the Lord is working all things together, that He is reconciling all things to Himself, and that we can trust in His plan amid valleys and amid darkness. In Acts chapter 16, the Macedonian call has gone out. And there's a sense of of hopefulness that the apostles have, that that the world will be coming to Christ. And yet we're always remembering and reminded that if they hated me, Jesus said, they will hate you. And proclaiming the gospel message will uh, will bring that from those who hear our message. And so as, as I'm speaking to an evangelistically driven church, I want to remind you of four truths this morning from our text. Four truths this morning. The first is that bringing the light of the gospel will anger the powers of darkness. Bringing the light of the gospel will anger the powers of darkness. And as you anger the powers of darkness, and we see the persecution uh, from Paul and Silas, I want to also encourage you that during an area of persecution or resistance and suffering for the gospel, suffer well. Because unbelievers are watching you. Unbelievers are listening to how you're going to respond to their persecution. So suffer well for Christ. And I also want to give you uh, the acknowledgement or or give you the the admonition to be ready to proclaim the gospel to everyone at the moment that they ask. We see that from the Philippian jailer we'll look at. Be ready to give the gospel, to give hope to those who are outside of Jesus. And lastly, I want you to, to rejoice to rejoice in God's covenant promises of salvation, to rejoice in God's covenant promises of salvation. So uh, let's look at our first heading, bringing the light of the gospel will anger the powers of darkness. Uh, This comes from verses 19 and verse 20. This is really the persecution that comes as they're proclaiming the gospel and really standing on the authority that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar, not you, but Jesus is Lord. So it's, it's not just the apostles, but, uh, but, but this darkness is not being practiced just against the apostles, excuse me, but it's, it's being practiced openly and publicly. We see in verse 16, this poor slave girl, 
is bound under the power of Satan. She's, she's demonically possessed and is able to have supernatural revelation of fortunes, which her owners use to produce wicked gain. This poor girl knows nothing but a life of bondage. She's been captured by these men. She's been possessed by demonic spirits and is used by these people to bring wicked gain. But the sad thing is that this area is so dark that she's not the only one in bondage. Her owners who are making tons of money off of her are also in the same power of bondage and darkness. Uh, Satan controls her, yes, but Satan also controls them. They are bound and blinded by our very real enemy. This poor girl, though, you'll notice, even being possessed by an evil spirit cannot control, but tell of the gospel. Not clearly explained, but telling that these men are servants of the Most High God. Even the demons know that these men have come to proclaim the gospel message. Servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Even the demons know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we continue this annoyance for several days, Paul finally casts out this demon. He's greatly annoyed. And and as her owners have now seen, we're not going to be rich anymore. This is obviously a big problem. You've stolen my source of income, my cash cow, if you will. And now it's personal. Now it's personal. And I just want to encourage you that as you go out from 2nd RP and proclaim this, the powers of darkness don't want to hear your message. They don't want to hear about bowing their knee to Jesus. They don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to hear about the exclusivity of Christ in salvation. So be warned as you go out. The powers of darkness are angered at the preaching of the gospel, just like we see in our text. Well, you've probably heard the expression, there's a reason why you don't poke a hornet's nest. There's a reason why you don't poke a hornet's nest. I have four brothers, and as we were growing up, I remember the pine tree out back had this big hornet's nest. And you could imagine that we thought it might be fun to throw rocks and sticks and and all these things, uh, messing around with these bees and I remember one time uh, we really got a good shot and they came out and they were angry. Uh, I got stung, my poor brother, I think he got stung 10 times and I'm the one who (laughs) got him angry in the first place. He took all the brunt. But I can picture my dad sitting on the porch saying, boys, what did you expect? There's a reason why you don't poke a hornet's nest. They're going to come out. They're going to be angry. They're going to look for blood and for vengeance. And so we see here in our text, When you go in poking at the system, poking at the darkness, you're going to anger those who you're preaching to. You're going to anger those who you're calling to repentance and faith in Jesus. They don't want to hear that message. So be prepared for that. Typically speaking, if you leave the hornets alone, they'll they'll leave you alone, generally speaking. And so it is really with the unbelieving Population. If, if, you just, if you don't proclaim Jesus as the only way, you'll be okay. They'll leave you alone for the most part. You may have some aggression, but just kind of keep it to yourself. Go to your room, and, and you don't have to demand that everybody follow Jesus. If you do that, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And yet that's not what we're called to do as Christians, is it? 
We're not called to just sit quietly in our rooms and, and to worship, although we need to do those things. We're called to go out and to call all men, women, children of all backgrounds, faiths, cultures, ethnicities, etc. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Be set free. Free from your sin. Free from death in the grave. Come to Jesus. And that's exactly why the apostles have gone out. That's why we're so zealous to go out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And yet know that as you do that, you may get stung. The apostles could have kept quiet and never gone to prison. They could have just continued uh, mending their nets and, and doing their own quiet thing. But that's not what our king has called us to do. He's called us to go out and to preach and to be aware that this will bring opposition. This will bring opposition. <clears throat> I recently went to a college Bible study back in my hometown, and there was uh, one young man who has been, who's walking with the Lord and has said that it's so hard, the, the opposing worldview of the state university. He says, standing for Christ and the values of Jesus has me in direct opposition to everybody else. They want to go out and live a life of unrepentant sin and pursue sex, drugs, rock and roll as, as we see the culture doing. And, and I don't want to bow to that. I want to stand for my king. And, and he shared that he went to a, a summer retreat last summer and he was amazed. You mean there are more college Christians? I thought I was the only one. He found such comfort in knowing that, that he is against his state university and he is against the, the culturally accepted worldviews, but there are others. There are others who stand for Christ. And we need one another. We need to encourage one another. So often as I get the fear of man and am afraid to go out in an evangelistic effort, I need to lean on a brother or sister. I need someone to pray for me. I need someone to encourage me. We, we need one another as we go about uh, this message and this task of going out. And remember that you're going to face the opposition of those outside of Jesus. Just know that from the get-go. Pray for the strength to overcome that. And take that eternal perspective that God is working this plan together. And we may not see full fruition of that. We, we may see times of people coming and change being made, but, but it's God's plan. And God will do it in His timing. We need to trust and be faithful and yet prepared that as we go out with the light of the gospel, we will face the anger of the power of darkness. And as we do face the anger of the power of darkness, our, our second heading that we'll look at is to suffer well for Christ. Suffer well for Christ because the world is watching. This comes from verse 25. I want to read this to you quickly. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And, this is the most important thing here, the prisoners were listening to them. Everybody's got an ear open for these men as they're singing praises to their God. Verse 19, to, to, to build this, uh, they were captured by the owners, brought to the rulers, brought to the magistrates. Their clothes are torn and they're ordered. This mob is growing and they're ordered to be publicly beaten. I want you to try to imagine really what's going on here. This isn't a, a private ordeal where they're pulled aside and, and they're rebuked for, for taking away the power of their gain. No, the whole city's in on this plan now. They're brought before the rulers. 
They're brought before the magistrates. The whole crowd is involved in beating these men. Most of them probably don't even know why. I don't know why, but somebody's mad at these Christians, and I'm going to get my pound of flesh as well. The rods are pulled out. The beatings and cursings persist. And really, this creates a a frenzy amongst the people. A frenzy. It would would kind of be like if all of a sudden a hundred fire trucks went down the road in the middle of a parade. Everybody would stop and think, what's going on? There's a big deal going on, and this city here is, is gathering around. What's going on here amongst these Christians? Everyone sees, and everyone knows to some extent. Brought before the magistrates and the rulers, the crowd joined in attacking them. So as everyone is watching, and everyone is talking about this, then they're brought into the prison, and not just in the prison, but into the inner prison and locked into the inner stocks of the inner prison. The whole world is watching these men be dragged away. And really, what is the crime? It's not for jaywalking. It's not for uh, just going about their own business and keeping to themselves. It's for proclaiming the gospel. They're, They're just being Christians. He cast a demon out of this young girl. They're called to be servants of the Most High. They're told that they proclaim the way of salvation. They're simply being Christians faithful to the Great Commission. And that brings about this anger here. And now Paul and Silas are really at a point of decision. How are they going to react? It's easy to be a Christian when life is easy. It's easy to be a Christian when all of my relationships are in a good position. It's easy to be a Christian when my health is well. It's easy to be a Christian when when the bank is doing okay and we can pay all of our bills. That's not where these men are. Everything is against them. The whole city is against them. How are they going to react? I'd like you to imagine, just, just if I could give you a bit of a cliffhanger, how are they going to react? Imagine the people in the prison. Imagine you've been in a prison cell for months or even years. You're sitting there and you hear this commotion and everybody's yelling and screaming. You hear, tear their clothes. You hear, pull out the rods. And and these men are being beaten. And you think, man, I thought my crimes were bad. What are these guys in for? Are, Are they arrested on some form of espionage? Have they killed the governor's Son, are they serial killers that have finally been captured and brought to justice? What brought these men in? They were simply being faithful to their Lord's call. They were simply being Christians. I think of the sneers of these other inmates as well. Remember, they're watching. Certainly serving Jesus. Certainly they're done serving Jesus now. Now that they finally got a dose of reality, certainly they're going to throw in the towel. This will get them to be quiet about their God. You see what serving your God has gotten you? You're in prison right next to me. Certainly you're done with this whole game. You can just get over uh, this idea and and just, just be like the rest of us. But what do they do? In the middle of the night, they're, they're praying. They're singing hymns to God. They're worshiping. They're worshiping God because their situation, their circumstances don't determine whether or not Jesus is worthy of their praise. It's easy to praise God when things are good. 
But here they are being counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake and the sake of the gospel. These men aren't fair weather Christians. These aren't men who want Jesus when he benefits them and throws them away whenever times are tough. No, they're in. They're in. They have no choice but to rest in the power of God in their weakness, relying on him. Paul hasn't yet wrote uh, the gospel, or hasn't yet wrote, written to the Roman church. Uh, but in Romans 8.18, I, I think of him playing this out in his mind. For I consider that the sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy of comparing with the glory that is be, to be revealed to us. I picture him saying to Silas, Silas, <laughs> Jesus has counted us worthy to suffer. Isn't he so great? Isn't this all worth it? The beatings and the pain and the shipwrecks and the the suffering and the scourging. Jesus is worthy of their praise. As they say that, what a shock that would be for the other inmates. What what a shock it would be to, do you hear that? These men beaten to a pulp are still praising their king. They're singing his praises. They're praying to him. He is magnificent regardless of their circumstances. I can tell you that if I was in that cell or in that prison beside them, I'd be interested. You guys have my attention now. If you would have thrown in the towel of your faith, you'd be just like me. But, but you're still holding on. There's something about the God that you serve that's worthy to be served, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulties. I want to hear about this Lord who you serve. The world's watching and they're counting themselves. They're being counted as worthy and remembering that the Lord will bring his plan to be. And and, and in the midst of prison, it doesn't look very good to us, but, but they're listening. The world is watching you as Christians. Just like Paul and Silas, they're listening. The world is listening and watching how you will respond to things. They're watching and listening your life. They're quick to notice when Christians fail and are hypocritical, and we all are at times, but the world is watching. The world is seeing how we will respond to persecution. The world is seeing, is Jesus really worthy of your worship all the time or just just when life is, is going good. <clears throat> Paul and Silas cannot help but sing and praise God for the gospel itself. And that's why they're singing. That's why they're praising. They can't help but sing. They're singing of their redemption that they have in Jesus. They're singing of God's grace in their lives They're singing of the forgiveness that they have in Christ. They're singing of the person and work of Jesus as the God-man come to save. Their eyes are fixed upon Jesus. And the temporary difficulties of this life just fade away in light of the face of Jesus. They're singing of the Son of God sent to save them from their sin. They're singing in response to the empty tune. Christ is not here. Why do you look for the living among the dead. And that's the king that we serve. Risen from the dead. 
abounding in steadfast love and abundant grace and mercy to all who call upon His name. Although they're in human chains, the Son has set them free, and they are free indeed. That's what their minds are set upon. How could they ever stop from singing? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. Even in prison, even in persecution, even in shipwreck, I'm with you now, even until the end of the age. That's their comfort. That's their strength. And and how we ought to have that same comfort and strength. That Jesus is with us. That God has displayed his mercy towards us. That, that you as a Christian are loved beyond all measure. Your circumstances don't depend upon that. But God's promises state that you are loved, cherished, adopted, justified, sanctified, and heading for glory. What a beautiful truth that is. What a beautiful thing. Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Remember that, saints. Nothing can separate you. Paul knew that. Paul had to be strengthened in that. Paul's faith in that grew through his persecution and through his difficulties that he had nothing nothing to hope in except for the infinite and eternal love of God. Is that your hope this morning? That Jesus is with me? That Jesus has saved me, redeemed me, washed me, cleansed me. My old life is gone, is forgiven, and I'm now a child of God. Suffer well for Christ because the world is watching. Give testimony of the grace of God in your life. And yet as we are in these various sufferings, also remember that the Lord can use those sufferings to bring about someone else's salvation. Can bring about someone else's salvation. This will be our third heading this morning. Excuse me. Uh, Bringing the light of the gospel will anger the powers of darkness. It will bring about suffering and persecution. When you suffer and are persecuted for Christ, suffer well knowing that the Lord may very well use that to bring about someone else's salvation. Always be ready to offer eternal life to those who are lost. Always be ready. Whether life is good or life is bad. Whether you've been really good in your evangelism recently or not, sometimes the Lord drops opportunities when we least expect it. Always be ready, as Peter says, to give a defense for the hope that is within you, the gospel itself. Let me just read verses 29 through 31. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He knows that there's something about these men. An earthquake has just come. He knows who he needs to talk to. And that's who he runs to. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? As Christians, that's what we pray people will ask us. When you came to saving faith, that was the question you had to answer. What must I do? That was the question on your heart. How can I escape from my sin? How can I escape from the judgment of God? How can I be reconciled with my Creator to whom I have rebelled? What must I do to be saved? And Paul says, the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you will be saved. You will be. Not, not maybe. Not maybe if you believe and then you try hard enough or you believe and you work enough and, and you do these things. No, believe in Christ and you will be saved. It's a promise of God. This man is trembling at his own mortality, trembling at the fact that he's quickly going to die. Uh, during this time, as the jailer, if any of these inmates have escaped, he's now liable for their punishment. So if he is responsible for these inmates and they escape, he's a dead man walking. And it's going to be worse for him than it was for Paul and Silas because he let them go. He actually determines that suicide would be a better way out than what he's going to face. He realizes that life is, is but a vapor and finally it's, it's hit him that I don't have much time left. My mortality is real. Judgment day is approaching. The, the scriptures say that eternity is written upon the hearts of men. And he goes to the servants of the Most High who proclaim the way of salvation. What must I do to be saved? And Paul explains, put your faith in Jesus. God in his covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world has purposed to send Jesus as a substitutionary life and death on your behalf. Everywhere that you failed in keeping the law, Jesus has fulfilled it. And all of the judgment that you deserve, Jesus has taken it away, crucified in your place and raised from the dead. Trust him. Put your faith in your good works away and trust Jesus. Transfer them to the Savior. He's fulfilled all demands of the law. He's fulfilled all demands of justice. Raised from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. <clears throat> it's a beautiful picture that I want to remind you of. As we go about this life and the, and the struggles that come with being a Christian, the persecutions, uh, life is, has been difficult the last couple of years. Uh, the coronavirus, the economy is in bad shape, the housing market is nuts. And life's been difficult. But you can rest in your Savior. You can rest in the work of Jesus. And the PCA vows of membership that, that I love, that we're reminded of so often, are, do you receive and rest in Jesus alone, do you receive his person, his work, his substitutionary life and death? And do you rest in that? You can breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus paid it all. He's done everything required. Trust in him and in him alone. And as we're ready to <clears throat> close, before we leave, I want to I give you one final heading. <clears throat> Be aware that, that bringing the gospel will bring uh, anger towards you. Suffer well amidst that persecution. Be ready to proclaim the gospel. And rejoice in God's covenant promises. Rejoice in God's covenant promises. This comes from verse 34. Let me read that again. Then he, that's the jailer, then the jailer brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household. Why? That he believed in God. That he'd been saved. That he now has new life in Christ Jesus. Chrysostom said, He, the jailer, washed and was washed. 
He washed them from their stripes, and he himself was washed from his sins. He's been washed, and that's something to rejoice over. Uh, rejoiced in the Greek is the word agelio, and it's not used by secular Greek writers. This is a word that's really only used in the Bible, because only in the Bible, only in the gospel, do you have a true reason to rejoice, eternal reason for rejoicing. Only in the gospel of Jesus can you, can you truly see that joy that is unspeakable and the peace that surpasses understanding. I'd like you to see this word used one other time in the scriptures. If you could, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19 at the very end. Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> this word is used, um, yes, for this specific jailer rejoicing. Uh, this word is also used when all of the saints are gathered for the Lord's final, the consummation of all things, for, for the marriage supper of the Lamb, when believers will finally meet our King face to face, and we will feast in the house of Zion. Revelation chapter 19, I'd like to read to you verses 6 and 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He is King. Verse 7. In, in light of that, that Jesus is King, that God is reigning, in light of that, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Let us rejoice. Do you rejoice in the gospel message? Does it fill your heart with joy? It comes and goes at different times, but our joy, our hope is set in the finished work of Jesus. And, and the call for us, the call for this jailer, for Paul, for all of us, and what we look forward to is an ultimate and eternal rejoicing in our God and in the Lamb. Before you became a Christian, you were just like this jailer. You were just like these men who had this demon-possessed girl. Now, it may not have looked quite that bad, but let's be honest, that's what it is. If you're not in Christ, you're an enemy of Christ. You're either for me or you're against me. And God, in His beautiful plan of redemption, like the murals that are drawn, we may not be able to see. And if you look back over your life, some of those things maybe didn't make sense of why the Lord allowed this into your life or this difficulty or this brokenness or this pain. But God is completing His picture of redemption. And He's brought you in by His grace. He's called you to lay down the shackles of sin. He's broken them off. He's opened the doors, just like He did in our text for you. The doors of your heart, the, the doors of sin, that, the chains of sin that have fallen off because Christ has paid your debt and Christ has redeemed you. And so our call is to rejoice in that, our calls to rejoice in the work of Jesus, the covenant promises that God will save. He offers that to you. Believe, believe in the promises that He's made. Believe that the Lord Jesus has come to save and rejoice. Rejoice in that as we will now and forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do.
thank you for the gospel message of salvation that comes by your grace alone. And we pray, O oh God, that you would so work in our hearts to receive this message. Lord, to, to have the faith to believe, whether we come weak or strong, whether we come well or sick, whether we come more obedient or more disobedient recently, that Jesus is enough and that we can receive and rest in his work. We thank you, O oh God, that you've not yet finished this covenant of redemption. You've not yet finished this reconciliation and you are still in the process, even now, of saving men and women unto yourself through the work of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we would, that we would rest in your goodness, that we would take this message of salvation out to the world, being prepared to suffer for Christ, Lord, and that we would trust uh, in your promise to bring all things uh, under the lordship of Jesus. I pray that you'd be with us, cause our hearts to sing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.